All right, so last week we saw the Lord Jesus change the life of yet another person. This time it was the Samaritan woman who was, if you remember from last week, a social outcast in her village. And so since Jesus had a divine appointment with her, Remember, he was down in Judea, bottom part of your screen, but because he knew he had a divine appointment uh, in Samaria, him and his disciples, they turned north and they went into Samaria and they arrived in Sychar, Sychar. Now, I've heard it pronounced Sychar. I've heard it pronounced Sychar. And so I went to blueletterbible.com and I hit what is the actual pronunciation of this village and I found out that it is, are you ready for this? Sukhar. Okay, and so if you ever go with us to Israel, you're gonna hear the Jews a lot of times in Israel and you know, they just got that thing going in their throat. It kind of makes you want to choke, right? But I, I, I thought it'd be fun if all of us could say Sukhar, but make sure that you say it like a Hebrew, okay? On the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Yeah, I like that. That's cool, isn't it? So they went to Sukhar, and that was the village where this Samaritan woman lived. And so while the disciples went into town to get lunch, Jesus, he knew he had a divine appointment. And so what is he doing? He's hanging out at Jacob's well, which is just outside of town. And so the woman arrives. Does anybody remember from last week what time she got to the well? Noon, 12 p.m., Right, she's a social outcast. She didn't go with the group of women that earlier that day. Um, sadly, they probably didn't want anything to do with her. Uh, so she goes by herself at 12 p.m. How many of you guys are glad that Jesus wanted to change her life? Right, he didn't have that attitude, that self-righteous, look down your nose at other people attitude. That's our Lord. And so he's there and he politely asks her for a drink. Now the idea of a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman uh, it really threw her off. It really kind of surprised her. It took her off guard. And so she said to him in verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, asks for a drink from me, a woman of what? Samaria. And then John puts in his little footnote to help everybody understand at the end of verse nine, for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. All right, so last week I shared the uh, extensive historical background of why the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along in the first century AD. If you missed that message, I wanna encourage you to go back. It's very important to get part one of this story. And so go back, watch it online at calvarypsl.com, download our podcast, however you want to access it. But during their fascinating conversation, what did Jesus do? Jesus used the water in Jacob's well as a metaphor for the gift of eternal life. He said to her in verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water, pointing at the water in Jacob's well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to what kind of life? Eternal life. Now, when you truly love somebody, 
You can't always tell them what they wanna hear. Sometimes you gotta tell them what they need to hear. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus brings up her sinful past. In the course of this conversation, he brings up her sinful past and her current immoral lifestyle. And somebody says, well, why did he do that? Well, one of the reasons, as we learned last week, was because she's lost and there can be no conversion without conviction. And so a person will never see their need for the Savior until they realize, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. I'm a sinner who needs to be saved from divine judgment. All right, so I'm gonna ask you three questions. I'm gonna give you the answer ahead of time, so very easy for you to get an A on this test. The answer is Jesus. All right, so I'm gonna ask you three questions, and I'm gonna point at you, and you give me the answer. You guys ready for this? All right, so who alone is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And who alone died for our sins to save us from divine judgment? And who alone uh, got up and marched out of the grave alive from the dead? What's his name? Jesus. Jesus. All right, so why did he come? He came because God so loved the world. Have you ever let that just sink in, not just to your head where you understand it, but into your heart? Why did the God-man come? Fully God, fully man, why did he come? Because God so loved the world that he gave, there's the cross right there. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not, what's the word there? That's divine judgment. You can't leave that out of the gospel. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting Life. How many of you guys are thankful for Christ's death and resurrection for us? We should celebrate it. We should talk about it. We should shout it from the rooftops. And so we are very thankful and thank God that the, at the end of the gospel of John, John is gonna share the account of Christ's death and his resurrection in chapters 19 and 20 the news of which, the news of his death and resurrection after that happened, the greatest event ever in the history of mankind, the news of which would spread from Jerusalem to Judea, listen to this, to Samaria, Acts 1.8, and then we find it happening in Acts chapter eight, and then eventually to the uttermost parts of the earth, and so thank the Lord, the Samaritans here in John chapter four would get the rest of the story a little later on. And so at the end of this conversation, the woman says to Jesus in verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then as clear as day, verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't get any clearer than that. And that's where we left off last week. So right now, if you're looking at John chapter four, verse 27, can you please say amen? amen. We'll continue our verse by verse study. It says, just then his disciples came back. Remember, they went out to get lunch in that town. And they came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? 
All right, so since the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, and since some Jews in that day were actually taught not even to greet a woman in public. By the way, how many of you guys think that um, the people of Florida are friendly? You're like, where did that question come from? <laughs> Let me ask you this. How many of you guys have ever been to North or South Carolina? How many of you guys think they're friendly? Right, they have that reputation. Not so much here. The other day I went for a run. I think I ran by four people and waved at them. Not one of them waved back. It's like, what is going on here? But then you go up to North or South Carolina, up to the mountains, and everybody's like, hey, how you doing? They're always waving at you. And so can I encourage you, maybe we could help change the culture in Florida and let's smile and look at people in their eyes and greet them and say hello. That would be cool. None of that is in the notes. All that was free, right? But since the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, first century AD, and since um, some rabbis taught you don't even um, publicly greet a woman, the disciples, they're surprised because Jesus just violated both of those social norms. Jesus just violated both of those social expectations by speaking with a Samaritan woman in public. But how many of you guys know, as I said last week, the Lord had no problem violating man-made religious rules, especially if those man-made religious rules were based in pride and in prejudice. He didn't have the time of day for that nonsense. And so, yes, of course, he's going to speak to a woman. And yes, of course, he's going to speak to a Samaritan. And so even though the disciples were surprised and um, they were shocked at this, no one said to her, hey, ma'am, what are you seeking? And no one said to him, Jesus, um, why are you talking to her? Why? Why didn't they question Jesus? I think by now they're starting to understand that Jesus knows what he's doing. Now, before we move on, you gotta understand that this Samaritan woman just had the most impactful conversation she's ever had in her entire life. She just had the most life-changing conversation she just, uh, that, that she's ever had in her entire life. And so you gotta understand, to say that right now in our Bibles, she's emotional, that is the understatement of the year. She is so excited, and we pick it up now in verse 28. It says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And so they went out of the town and were coming to him. And so this woman was so excited that she just met the Messiah. What does she do? She leaves her water jar at the well, either absent-mindedly or perhaps because she knew the disciples um, would need it for lunch. I don't know the reason why, but she leaves her water jar at Jacob's well. She rushes back into town in order to tell other people. As I've said to you guys before, when you've had an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you want other people to know about it. You just do. It's true. And so, man, she's excited. She wants other people to know about it. And her testimony so impacted those people in that town. They dropped everything. And I want you to picture it in your mind. Jacob's well, right? 
Um, they're, they're, they're there in the, in the town, and, and Jacob's well is just outside the town. You got Mount Gerizim, you got Mount Ebal, and you got Jesus and the disciples that are around the well, and the Samaritan woman is sharing, right? She's so happy, she's so excited, and now you got all these townspeople, right? Can you see it? And they're coming out to the well. Well, meanwhile, back at the ranch, verse 31, it says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat, eat something. And so after the disciples got back into uh, to Jacob's well, they're very hungry. They're ready for lunch. And so what are they, I mean, they just walked from Judea. <laughs> they're hungry, right? And so they walked for hours. And so what do you do? Well, what do you think they did? I think they drew water from the well for lunch. I think they spread out all that really good food that they just bought in town, maybe on the wall, going around Jacob's well. And maybe somebody said, who's gonna pray? And maybe Peter said, I'll pray. And so they all bowed their heads. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who gives us bread from the earth and water from Jacob's well or whatever they prayed, right? And then all of a sudden they're digging into this delicious food and everybody's enjoying themselves how many of you guys enjoy a good meal every once in a while? Everybody's eating, everybody except for Jesus. And so while their mouths are full, they're like, Rabbi, eat, <laughs> eat something. And we pick it up now in verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? How many of you guys are glad that the Lord is so patient when we don't get it? And Jesus, verse 34, said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so Jesus was the master illustrator. He loved taking physical things and making them metaphors of spiritual things. In his dialogue with the woman at the well, as we have already said, he used the physical water in the well as a metaphor for the gift of eternal life. Now in his dialogue with the disciples, he's using food, the food that they're eating, the food that they're enjoying, he uses that food as a metaphor for the satisfaction of doing God's will. Again, how many of you guys enjoy a good meal every once in a while, right? I do. I, I like, you know, the roast beef dinner at Cracker Barrel. It's just good. And so I'll go to Cracker Barrel with my wife, and I'll order the roast beef dinner. You got the roast beef, and you can't just get two sides, you gotta get three sides. So you get the mashed potatoes with the gravy and the gravy's gotta go over the roast beef too and you got the corn and you got the green beans as well. Somebody says, isn't that a lot of carbs? That's why you, you get water with your, with your meal, right? Okay, and, so, and then you get the biscuits. And man, make sure, please bring that apple butter when you bring those warm biscuits with you. It's just, again, some of you guys are like, no, 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 no. Hey, you could cheat every once in a while. You can have a, a meal like this. And so you're, you're chewing it, you're swallowing it, and, and what, what's happening? Well, for me, I don't know about you, but it's satisfying. It makes me happy. <laughs> okay, and so what is Jesus doing now? Well, these disciples, they're eating 
a good lunch, anything from a town called Sukhar is probably really good food, and so they're eating this lunch, they're swallowing it, and he says to them, hey, my food, my satisfaction, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. All right, so that leads you to this important point right here. And so doing God's will in our lives will, ladies and gentlemen, it will bring us true satisfaction and joy. You want satisfaction, you want joy in your life? Commit yourself, commit your life to do the will of the Father in heaven. You will be so blessed. Will life be perfect, a bed of roses forever? Of course not. The devil's still alive and well, and we still have this flesh that we're living in, there's still gonna be challenges and difficulties in life. But let me tell you something, if you commit your life today, for the rest of your life, to do the Father's will, He's gonna give you true satisfaction and true joy. And so follow the logic here. Jesus Christ came into the world to do the Father's will. And doing the Father's will brought him more satisfaction and joy than the greatest feast could ever provide. I love the Bible. It's just so practical to our lives. And by the way, what a difference between Jesus Christ and the devil. Such a difference. And so when you look at, you don't have to turn there, I'm just gonna read from it, a few verses from it in a moment here, but when you look at Isaiah 14, there's this fascinating passage, and it describes the prideful attitude of Satan, who's all about doing his own will. And in this passage in Isaiah chapter 14, yes, um, it does have a certain fulfillment in an earthly monarch, but it has its ultimate fulfillment in a diabolical spiritual monarch, one Lucifer, son of the dawn, son of the morning. And so Isaiah writes, 700 years before Christ, how are you fallen from heaven, O day star, O Lucifer, son of the dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit, uh, sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Verse 15 says, but you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. And so Isaiah gave us a revealing look into that self-centered, self-willed, prideful heart of Satan who didn't care about what God desired. All he cared about was what he desired, right? I will. Can you, can you hear the self-will there? Me, myself, and I. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And what will be the result? He will be brought down. And now just the opposite of that you have the Lord Jesus Christ, who the Apostle Paul um, wrote to the Philippians, and speaking of Jesus, said, and I quote, who, though he was in the form of God, form, the word form in the Greek, um, John MacArthur says, quote, the word describes the essential being or nature of what it refers to, in this case, the essential being of God. In other words, 
Jesus Christ was and is God. It's all over the New Testament. And so, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, the Father is the inference there, a thing to be grasped. And so, this one, um, the, the second person of the Trinity, God, right? He comes to the earth and through the incarnation he becomes a man, fully God, fully man. And as he's a man on the earth, he does not count equality with the Father, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a, does anybody know what the next word is? The form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, there it is, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so you see what Jesus chose to do? She, Jesus chose to humble himself. Jesus chose to become a servant. And, and it goes on to say that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. I'm looking forward to this day in the future. Every knee's gonna bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue's gonna confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so polar opposites. The question is, what path are you gonna follow in your life? And so like Lucifer, are you gonna choose the path of self-will? Or like Jesus, are you gonna choose the path of the Father's will? And if you choose the path of life's all about what I want, here's what I know. You're never, never, never gonna find true satisfaction and joy in life. You're just not. I like what Charles Haddon Spurgeon had to say about this. He said that the man of the world thinks that if he could have his own way, he would be perfectly happy. I'll just stop right there. How many of you guys know that, that that is the lie of our culture right there? The first sentence. This is so much of the message of the culture. And it's a lie. And this is why I love our church gatherings. Because you guys have an opportunity to leave the lies that you're hearing in the culture and come into a place where you're going to hear truth. Truth that will set you free. And so the man of the world thinks that if he could have his own way, he would be perfectly happy. And his dream of happiness is comprised in this, that his own wishes will be gratified, his own longings fulfilled, his own desires granted to him. I love it. Spurgeon says, this is all a, what's the word? A man will never be happy in this way. And so if you make a decision in your life that you're gonna choose your way, life's gonna be about, all about what you want to do. Again, you're never gonna find true satisfaction and joy. As Spurgeon said, the man or woman will never be happy in that way. But if you choose to follow the path of Jesus, whose food, verse 34, was to do the will of the Father and to accomplish his work, then you're gonna find true satisfaction and joy in your life. And so the question is this, if you're listening, say amen here. The question is this, have you committed in your life to do the will of the Father? If not, I encourage you to make that decision today. Paul, writing to the Christians at Rome, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Christian, make a commitment to be all about the Father's will in your life. And you say, well, if I do that, he might make me leave America and go to the mission field and I'll get stuck in a third world nation. Listen, I'd rather go to a third world nation and do God's will than stay in America and do my own will. I know that's just now settling on some people's minds and hearts right now. Let me say that again. I'd rather go to a third world country for the rest of my life and do God's will, if that's what he wants, than to stay in America and do my own will. Why? Because God's will brings true satisfaction and joy no matter where you're living. Doing your own will ultimately, ultimately leaves you empty. Doing your own will ultimately leaves you dissatisfied. And of course, now, how many of you guys know America is a big mission field? There's lost people everywhere, and so he'll probably, um, if you commit to do the Father's will the rest of your life, um, he'll probably lead you just to stay here. I don't know, that's between you and the Holy Spirit, but no matter where we live, we gotta realize there's a spiritual harvest all around us, and God wants to use you, and God wants to use me to bring in that harvest. And that leads us now to verse 35, all right? So look at verse 35. Do you not say, Jesus says to his disciples that are enjoying their lunch around Jacob's well, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, (laughs) I like this. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And so after the Samaritan woman, right, went into town, rushed into town, shared her story, and what happens then, the people, verse 30, they decide they're gonna come out and meet this man that so impacted the Samaritan's woman's life. And I think it's right now, right here and right now, as these people, can you see them? They're all coming out of town, being led by this very excited Samaritan woman. Here they come, they're approaching Jacob's well, and I think it's right then that the Lord Jesus Christ says in verse 35, Look up, guys, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Here they come, boys. It's harvest time. Verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap. I sent you to reap. Jesus says to disciples, in case it's not clicking yet, I sent you, disciples, to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now a key that will help us understand this passage is simply this. The sower is Jesus, the reapers are the disciples, and the harvest is who? You guys see what's going on in the Bible right now? And so I think the Lord is basically saying to his disciples, hey guys, you know that saying 
one sows and another reaps. Well, while you guys were out in town getting lunch, I was sowing spiritual seed into the heart of that woman that you saw rush off and she went off and told others and now look, the town's coming out. Lift up your eyes, the fields are white in the harvest. Look guys, it's time for you to reap this harvest of all these people who are coming out to us. It's a beautiful story. I love this story. I'm so glad we're taking two weeks to go through it so we can just really digest um, what's in this story and apply it to our lives. And so on that note, what's more essential, sowing or reaping? Well, D.A. Carson wrote this. He said, one sows and another reaps. And the work of both sower and reaper is, what's the word there? Essential, it's important. The sower labors in anticipation of what is to come. The reaper must never forget that the harvest he enjoys is the fruit of another's toil. Okay, so what's more essential, sowing or reaping? And the truth is, they're both essential. So if you have had the privilege in your life of sowing gospel seeds into someone's life, right, and they didn't respond, or they're not responding, I want you to take heart. I want you to be encouraged. Why? Because as Carson said, uh, second line to the right of your screen, the sower labors in anticipation of what is to come. All right? And so keep praying for that person. Keep uh, witnessing to them with your lips and your life. Keep being that, that witness before them. But listen, never, never, never give up hope on that person. Um, why? Because uh, how many of you guys know God can do anything, right? And so you're sowing in your anticipation of what is to come. Now, if you've had this, the privilege in your life of leading someone to Christ, seeing somebody get saved, um, well, praise the Lord, and don't forget what he, Carson said at the end of his quote there. The reaper must never forget that the harvest he enjoys is the fruit of what? Another's toil. In other others came before you, way before you, and they were sowing seeds into that person's life. And you just got to be the one that was blessed to see the harvest. But both sower and reaper, both is essential, and both one day uh, are, gonna, are gonna rejoice together. I remember when I was a teenager, it was a long time ago, how the Holy Spirit was drawing me into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad for the people he brought along the way back in those days. And what were they doing? They were being a witness to me with their lips and with their life. They were sowing seeds um, into my heart, and into my life. In high school, I don't even know who this was, but someone gave me a pocket New Testament. And so here I am, I think I was 16 at the time. I don't know who it was. They gave me a pocket New Testament. I think it was from the Gideons. Listen, I didn't own a Bible. I didn't read the Bible. I didn't have my own Bible that I read at home. But someone's like, here, here you go. And I took it. And it had Matthew, all of the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation. It had Psalms and Proverbs in the back. And so later, when I started to read the Bible and understand the Bible, I was like, where's Psalms and Proverbs? It's not behind Revelation, right? I had no idea what was going on, but I had this pocket New Testament, and I thank God for whoever that was. I would keep it, I can see it right now in my bedroom, I keep it right by my bed. 
And I'm sure I read it from time to time. And so whoever that was, was planting seeds into my life. And then during my senior year of high school, I met a classmate, his name was Neil. We became really good friends and I enjoyed hanging out with Neil and I noticed there's something different about this guy. I couldn't explain it. Three things as I was writing the message this week came back to mind all those years ago about this guy, Neil. Um, The first thing was that he seemed more mature than the rest of the people in the senior class. The second thing was he seemed to actually care about people. And the third thing that I remember about this this guy that was my friend is that uh, he was one of the most genuine, real people that I had ever met. And so one day during my senior year, I'm talking to Neil and I look and in his pocket, there's a bunch of these tickets. And I I was like, hey, what's those? Can I have one of those? He's like, yeah, sure. He handed me the ticket. And so I took it home and I realized that this is a gospel track. Now I had no idea what a gospel track was in those days, but it had a bunch of Bible verses on it. And so I started reading those Bible verses over and over and over and over again. I was 17 at the time. And I'm reading Bible verses. And you know what happened to me for the first time in my life? Holy Spirit conviction settled down on my heart. One of the verses that really got me was Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You guys see this, I think, every week, right? For by, what's the word? You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. (laughs) It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Doesn't get any clearer than that. So that no one may boast. And so I'm reading this as a 17 year old and it's troubling me, why? Because before I read it, I basically thought I was a good enough person to go to heaven. But this verse is saying that getting saved is quote, not your own doing, that getting saved quote, is not a result of works. I'm like, what? And then the day came, I'll never forget. I was at my job working at Little Caesars Pizza as a 17 year old in the back washing dishes and I'm going over these Bible verses that were on the gospel track that my friend Neil had given to me. And I'm thinking about these verses and one verse that I remember I was really focusing on was from Romans. You guys see this I think almost every week as well. For the wages of sin is what? Death. And the gospel track explained that that's physical death, yes, but we are physical and we're also spiritual beings. So it includes spiritual death, which is not annihilation, but it's eternal separation from God in hell. So the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as I'm thinking about that verse, the light bulb all of a sudden came on. For the first time I realized I was not a good person who deserved to go to heaven. I was a sinful person who deserved death and divine judgment. And that's truth. I know it hurts for for some people to hear that, but it's absolute truth. And because of my sin against God, I deserved physical death, but I also deserved spiritual death. I deserve to be separated from God 
forever. And that was the bad news. But how many of you guys are thankful for the good news of the gospel, right? So look at the, the good news. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this Jesus, who wasn't as fully God and fully man, this Jesus I discovered loved me so much he did not want to judge me for my sins. And so what did he, what did he do? He came and he took my judgment as my substitute. He died on the cross and paid the penalty of death for my sins and that satisfied the justice of God. Listen, listen with your ears, listen with your heart, humble your heart, hear what I'm saying. That night I changed my mind. The word repentance, metanoia, in its most basic definition is a change of mind. And so I changed my mind about my sin. My sin was wrong, my sin offended God, and now I know from God's word on this gospel track that the judgment for my sin is death and hell, and I need forgiveness. I changed my mind about my sin, I changed my mind about myself. I realized I cannot save myself by being a good person. The truth is I'm a sinner and I need the Savior. And I changed my mind about the Savior. Again, you can't say it enough. I think we get our focus on all these other things and we take our focus off the cross so you can't say it enough. And so I changed my mind about the Savior that he died on the cross to pay the death penalty for my sin and three days later he marches out of that tomb victorious over sin, death, and hell. And I put my trust, my trust, my personal trust in the risen Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, right there, washing dishes at Little Caesar's Pizza, the Holy Spirit of God, never experienced anything like this before. He came inside of me and I felt wave upon wave of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy over and over flooding into my soul, flooding over my soul. I was like, what? Wow. What happened that night? I became a child of God that night. You see, Jesus came into his own and his own received him not. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I was born of God. And so regarding the new birth, Spurgeon wrote this. I usually don't quote the same person two times, but Spurgeon really was awesome this week. And so the man, the born again man or woman, is like a watch which has a new mainspring. Not a mere face and hands repaired, but a new inward machinery, which act to a different time and tune. And whereas he went wrong before, now he goes right because he's right within. What does that mean? What it means to me is that the reason I got saved was not because I fixed myself up on the outside. Are you guys getting this? Because listen, this is the false, this is the false belief that so many people have in the world. I gotta fix myself up so that God will accept me. <laughs> Wrong answer. No, that's not the answer. You need Jesus. 
And so the reason I got saved was not because I fixed myself up on the outside. Look at me, I'm such a good person. The reason I got saved is because Jesus gave me an unworthy sinner new life within by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's why I got saved. And then what happened after I got saved? Then my life started to change. And that was an evidence that I had been born again. Paul said to the church at Corinth, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I remember after I got saved, I got in my little Ford Fiesta and all by myself, I drove to North Tampa to a Christian bookstore and I bought my first Bible. And I started to read it and read it and there's hours of the story, but I'll save that for another time. But I'm thankful that the Lord saved me at Little Caesar's Pizza that night. Right down the street from Tampa Stadium where the Bucks won the Super Bowl last year. I'll just throw that in for free. But I'm so glad that the Lord saved me that night. I'm thankful for the people he sent beforehand, right, who sowed seeds. Whoever that was that gave me that pocket New Testament. My friend Neil, other Christian influences. I'm also thankful that after I got saved, my brother Matt, who is now head of school across the street at Calvary Christian Academy, which by the way is the best school on earth. Have you heard it? Okay. And so I'm so glad that my brother Matt was inviting me to the church that he and his wife Karen were going to. And I'm so glad I went to that church because guess what happened? Later, I met my wife at that church. And I thank God for my wife who is the second most important person in my life and the second biggest blessing I've ever had in my life. And somebody says, she's not the first most important person? No, haven't you heard the key to a successful marriage? Jesus number one, your spouse number two. If you wanna have an awesome marriage, you gotta keep that straight. But I'm so grateful. And then the Lord blessed us with three amazing, awesome daughters. And now we have three amazing, awesome sons-in-law and we have seven grandchildren. And I'm just, just thankful to God for all that he's done. Look at verse 39. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, okay, so they all come out to Jacob's well, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there for two days, okay? So they're impacted by the Lord. Hey, can you please hang out for a while? Jesus is like, yeah. I don't care that Jews have no dealings with the Samaritan. Yeah, I love to hang out. I love his attitude. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because you said that we believe, or it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the, please finish it out, so thank the Lord that Jesus didn't just come to save the Jews. He didn't just come to offer salvation to the Jews. He came to offer salvation to the whole world. And ladies and gentlemen, there is a harvest of souls 2,000 years later still all around us. And the Lord wants to use you and the Lord wants to use me to bring in to reap that harvest. So final point, are you being a witness with your lips and with your life. 
You see, if you wanna be an effective witness, if you wanna be used by the Lord in this whole thing of sowing and reaping, by the way, how many of you guys know that Calvary Port St. Lucie isn't some kind of Christian club, you know, us four and no more? That's not us. We have the great commission <laughs> to carry out. And so, hey, if you wanna be used by the Lord in sowing and reaping, don't do it in your own strength. Because what happens so often is that people, you know, they get under this, this fear that I've gotta, I've gotta win people to Jesus, and, and so they, they, they do it, number one, for the wrong reason, but then number two, they try to do it in their own strength, and it just doesn't work. So you know what the most important thing is right off the bat? You gotta be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. How many of you guys know there's a difference between being, being indwelt by the Spirit and being filled by the Spirit? It's true. Paul said it, Ephesians 5, 18, don't get drunk with wine, wear in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He's writing to Christians who are already indwelt. Continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Acts 1, 8, he tells the uh, apostles, the disciples, you're gonna receive power. Can you guys say the word power, please? Listen, that's the key to sowing and reaping. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Epi is the Greek preposition there, not just indwelt, upon. I like to think of that as filling to overflow. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so, man, be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and then be fruitful. Don't just say stuff with your lips. Live it with your life. And so the fruit of the Spirit is love. Just ask yourself quietly in your heart as we're winding down, stay with me to the end here, but ask yourself in your heart, are these characteristics indicative of my own life? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience. There's a reason I'm pausing right now. Patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Because if your life doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit, who's gonna listen to what you have to say with your lips? So be filled with the Spirit. And then as you're filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is producing the fruit of the Spirit through your life, and then be faithful, Paul says to the church at Corinth. Moreover, um, it is essential, paraphrasing this verse here, that stewards be found faithful. And so what, what does that mean? That means that when God gives you an open door, and you know when that happens, I know when that happens, when God gives you an open door, go through it. Share Jesus, share the love of Jesus. Invite him to come to an Easter service. Give him a gospel track, give him a pocket New Testament, however the Lord leads you to do that. But man, be faithful and let's join together and be reapers.